What's a badger game? A badger game is, so uh, you're visiting the city, you're uh, in a hotel room, you're with a woman who's not your wife, all of a sudden a bunch of guys burst in, they may or may not claim to be police, they definitely aren't police, unless they're very crooked mm -hmm. police, and they're going to blackmail you. This is David Katrusha, author of the new book, Gangsterland, a tour through the dark heart of Jazz Age New York City. And it's uh, published by Diversion Books down there in the heart of New York City, in the heart of uh, Times Square. And this book focuses on, oh, anything from the teens into the early 1930s, centering on the Prohibition era and all those speakeasies and jazz and the era of wonderful nonsense and the era of a lot of not wonderful things including robberies and arson and murder and fraud and things of, of that nature. This is the Historian's Podcast and I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome back historian David Petruja to discuss his latest book, Gangsterland. David has written about presidential politics, baseball, crime, and I guess this is an example of that, the new book. He's author of a book about crime and criminals in New York City in the jazz age called Gangsterland. David, I'd like to mention, is a native of Amsterdam, New York, also my native city, and David's author of a memoir about our hometown, Amsterdam, New York, called Too Long ago. Uh, I have to ask you, you said the book was published in New York City. I imagine you counted your change when this was done. <laughs> yes, yes, you do. And and uh, thereby hangs a tale. Oh, really? Well, what happened? Well, what happened was the um, I was asked uh, not too long ago to do a radio broadcast by a fellow I had met while I was doing one of these back-and-forth things on politics a few years ago. And he had a show uh, broadcast from the Russian Tea Room. And out of the blue, he says, Hey, could I have you on to talk about uh, Arnold Rothstein, who I'd done a book on, in Times Square? And I thought for a second and said, Yes, I can. Because uh, years, years before that, I had been asked to do a walking tour of Arnold Rothstein's Times Square, and I still had all the notes. And when you say count your change and all that, well, the person who engaged me to do the walking tour stiffed me on it. So, uh, <laughs> welcome to Times Square. <laughs> I guess so. Um, in fact... You mentioned Arnold Rothstein. I, I find him in this book. I mean, he's maybe not in the title, uh, although maybe he is as a gangster. But uh, tell us a little bit more about Rothstein. It's, it seems that what you're, you have in Gangsterland, uh, uh, Rothstein keeps coming in and out as, uh, as a character. Well, he's, he's the central guy, and, and because... Um, the book <laughs> uh, originated from a book which turned into a uh, walking tour, which turned into a radio broadcast solely about him. Uh, then we, we started to flesh it out 
into this uh, larger scope of of gangsterism and crookedness and prohibition and speakeasies and all that sort of stuff. So he's he's the centerpiece of the whole thing, but he's he's not the whole thing. What he how is he the uh, he's you think of a gangster and maybe they're shooting people up or running some uh, uh, booze into the country and and all that, but he's he's the money man behind so many things. So that the subtitle of my book on Rothstein indicated that he was the man who fixed the 1919 World Series. Mm-hmm. And that's what most people know him for today. But that wasn't it. I mean, he was a loan shark and a man in back of labor racketeering and founding the uh, modern American drug trade. Uh, he was one thing which, which I missed in the earlier book, I think I referenced it, but did not go into it in any great deal, or mm-hmm. the amount of uh, space that it deserved, is how much of his uh, moolah came from uh, fencing stolen goods, and particularly stolen jewelry. And, you know, you, you watch Turner Classic movies, and you see these pre-code films, and uh, plot after plot involves stolen jewels. Mm-hmm. Whether it's in uh, uh, Grand Hotel with John Barrymore trying to steal Greta Garbo's jewels, or or maybe William Powell trying to stay, steal uh, uh, Kay Francis's, uh, and and you see it in plot after plot, you think, well, maybe that's just some some hokey Hollywood plot line which they beat to death. But no, uh, the amount of jewel robberies which were going on were fabulous. And one of the bigger jewel robbers in that era was a guy named Harry Sidmore. And uh, his wife wrote a series of articles for the Hearst Papers, uh, the Hearst Syndicate, uh, and said that over the course of the years, her husband, her husband alone, fenced $10 million worth of stolen jewels uh, through Arnold Rothstein. And which leads to another one of his businesses. He was also involved in real estate, Rothstein's businesses, but also involved in insuring things like jewels. <laughs> so he knew who had the jewels and where they were. And occasionally, uh, the jewel uh, or the insurance companies would pay him a certain sum to arrange for him to get them back, so they would not have to pay out the full. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, some uh, on the lost jewelry. So all sorts of, of, of crookedness going on there. And you also see certain sites. Now, newspapers today are very circumspect as to what they tell you about crime and about anything, really. And so they might not tell you the name of who was arrested, even. They rarely tell you where they lived. Uh, but back then, they certainly would. So the newspapers, and there were so many of them in New mm-hmm. York City, would tell you the address addresses of all the speakeasies, of where the jewel robberies took place. And not only that, they, they would go. They would tell you where which apartment got robbed. Um, so um, there was a wealth of detail that I could draw on. 
and which would make not just a book about that era possible, but a a walking tour of it uh, more than possible. Have you done other walking tours in addition to the one from the Russian Tea Room? No, that was uh, that was the only one I've ever conducted. Um, but uh, I've been on many a tour in in New York City, of and including not just the ones that the you know the highlight ones that the normal tourists might go on, but of the uh, more obscure neighborhoods, you know, even into Brooklyn or Yorkville, which is you know above the up above the Upper East Side, which nobody ever goes to or various tours on, on the Upper West Side, um, down into the uh, Greenwich Village or wherever. And so um, the idea of tromping through all these neighborhoods was, was uh, part of, um, part of mm-hmm. my DNA almost. Well, it seems to me that Gangsterland could be a guide for any number of um, walking tour guides. Well, yeah. Um, because there's only <laughs> there's only so much walking you can do in the city, um, and and so you 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 have to split it up into you know a couple of hours before everyone uh, uh, conks out, and you're you're not going to go from Times Square all the way up to uh, Columbia University in one tour. It is really remarkable all the connections in this, whether you're you're doing. The tour of the city to for one category of crime or just the neighborhood. One of the most thickly populated or mm-hmm. most interesting areas of the city is the West 50s, where mm-hmm. it seemed like every building had a speakeasy. <laughs> every single one. And then they would get shut down. And guess what? Another speakeasy would would arise, and um, so you, at one point at two hundred five West Fifty Fourth Street, you had a place called the the Club Abbey, and the things that would occur there were uh, uh, amazing. You would have a, a big brawl between the Dutch Schultz uh, crowd and the Waxy Gordon crowd, and a what. Somebody would get knife there, or later on they would have. Now nowadays, you know, as you may have noticed, we have this big drag queen uh, thing going on. It mm-hmm. sort of came out of nowhere, and, and it's everywhere all of a sudden. But back then, towards the end of the speakeasy craze, they had what was called the pansy craze, mm-hmm. and one of the uh, more adept uh, practitioners of that, a former. Uh, uh, we don't call them transsexuals, or they didn't, but uh, would call them, uh, you know, transvestites, uh, would uh, be uh, the host there. Uh, and he was remarkably, uh, supposedly very entertaining. Uh, Ed Sullivan uh, praised him uh, very highly in one of his columns, even though he said, uh, I'm really not into that. Um, <laughs> and and uh, uh, right Legs Gordon and a, uh, a madam... Uh, would run a name Vivian Gordon, who eventually got murdered, and Legs Diamond, of course, got murdered in Albany. Uh, ran a, a badger game out of the club Abbey. Uh, there was a seance there 
run by Texas Guyman, who was the most famous speakeasy operator. And that seance, which included uh, as a participant only the killer Madden, who was a uh, kind of forgotten but a major, major racketeer in the city back then. What's uh, a badger game? A badger game is, um, so uh, you're visiting the city. You're uh, in a hotel room. You're with a woman who's not your wife. All of a sudden, a bunch of guys burst in. They may or may not claim to be police. They definitely aren't police, unless they're very crooked police. Mm -hmm. And they're going to blackmail you. And that was that was a thing back then. In the Hotel Ansonia, just above Lincoln Center, which is there today as the Ansonia Apartments, there was a famous Badger game case run by a woman named Buddha Godman, Goodman, Godman. And she was the mistress of Charles Stoneham. Does the name Stoneham ring a bell? Not really. Well, that's right. You're not a baseball or sports fan. Back before the back before Horace Stoneham moved the New York Giants to San Francisco, his father Charles Stoneham uh, ran uh, the New York uh, baseball Giants and was a famous famous stockbroker who ran. Uh, who was an associate of Arnold Rothstein. Arnold Rothstein brokered the deal which sold the New York Giants to uh, Charles Stoneham. And that uh, uh, Stoneham was um, not only an associate of, of Rothstein in many things, including baseball, but uh, he ran what is called bucket shops, a term, again, which, which may not be familiar to people. And what a bucket shop was, was a crooked Wall Street uh, investment firm, brokerage firm. Mm. And what they would do is they'd talk you into, quote, unquote, buying a certain stock, but they would never buy it for you. <laughs> and what they would do is they were betting that that stock was going to tank. Okay? And then they'd say, oh, it tanked, and maybe you should unload it now. And what they would do is they would pocket the difference. <laughs> okay. They would, and, and there were investors who would specialize in making, and going back into the 19th century, who would, who would manipulate stocks by putting out bad reports on them. So you either talk up a worthless stock in the, in the media, or you talk a good stock or mediocre stock down in order so you can cash in whether the, th whether the elevator is going up or down. David Petruzzo with us. His book is called Gangster Land. It's, I'm just trying to describe it. Uh, you, you have all these, um, you got them numbered even, uh, these uh, sites along the way, uh, bars and speakeasies and uh, things like that. And that's basically the book. It is basically the book. We have a uh, chronology at the end, hopefully. Well, we, we a chronology at the end to help tie things together because the book is unlike a standard kind of history or biography. It's you know, it the stories are a bit fragmented, so that you have to you know you're dealing with legs diamond. 
you know, at one site, but then, you know, 20 numbers later, you're dealing with him at another. And so you've, you're trying to tie all this stuff together so that the readership is, uh, or the readers are not uh, uh, too confused. We also do a cast of characters at the beginning mm-hmm. of the book. Yes, uh, because that, not yeah. all these people are, you know, I mean, who remembers Charles Stone? <laughs> I know. Who the Godman today, you know? Or mm-hmm. Vivian Gordon. So so you've got to, uh, you know, you've got to have a scorecard, as they say, to know who the players are. Now, for example, just sort of at random looking through your book, I found you, you saying that your laptop was fried at the Hotel Warwick. How did that happen, and why else is the Warwick famous? Well, the Warwick was, um, we include the Warwick because after Arnold Rothstein's marriage uh, went uh, kablooey, after several mistresses on his part, and then a uh, feeling of being ignored, uh, even aside from the mistresses, by his wife, uh, a former showgirl named Carolyn Green. And uh, that's another thing. One sees the connection to all the Broadway shows at this point, where Rothstein would be bankrolling them or broad, uh, bankrolling theaters, and certainly where so many of the gangsters had showgirl girlfriends. You know, think of think of the plot line in Guys and Dolls, mm-hmm. and and so you you see that and so his wife after uh, the marriage was over and after he was dead uh was living at the Warwick at one point the Warwick was built uh by William Randolph Hearst who shows mm-hmm. up in in the book for for a variety of of reasons and i was down there i was working at the time for total sports publishing and and they had put me up there, and um, it was I don't know what happened, but I plugged the damn laptop in one day, and and the uh, <laughs> the 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 thing the power shorted right out, and that thing was <laughs> that thing was fried, and I don't know if the company paid for me to replace it or not. I don't think they did, but oh, um, well. you certainly remember you remember those uh, halcyon days of uh, very expensive laptops and. Uh, and panic as as your life passes before you as your data disappears. Well, also, I just wrote down one name. The Hotel Warwick was home to a number of famous people. For example, Cary Grant lived there for a while. Yes, he did. I mean, the uh, a number of people that that show up uh, of showbiz people in these pages, most specifically because they were involved in the Ziegfeld Follies, where. You know, every it seems like you know half the showgirl, half the showgirls were were the mistresses, girlfriends of 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 big shots. Like, well, uh, not only uh, well, Hearst's first wife was a showgirl. His longtime mistress, Marion Davies, was uh, a showgirl. Uh, so the uh, you see people like. Uh, um, Fanny Bryce involved. Fanny Bryce was married to Nikki Arnstein, who was a henchman of Arnold Rothstein. Not involved, as far as I know, in stealing jewels, but in stealing millions of dollars of of government uh, World War One uh, war bonds, uh, things of, of that nature. So, 
you see, oh, uh, one of the showgirls who shows up in these pages is a woman named Bessie Poole. Mm-hmm. Bessie Poole was W.C. Fields' uh, girlfriend, and uh, she was killed in a speakeasy run by Texas Guinan's brother, uh, Tommy Guinan, where she was sort of slugged in one of these uh, uh, raucous evenings and and died soon afterwards. The uh, medical examiner said, no, that was not the cause of death, because, uh, you know, often um, you uh, sort of covered things up back then. You covered things (laughs) up uh, uh, a great deal. Talking to you at other times, or you've mentioned sometimes unbidden, you just have said how you, I don't know if you would say you love New York, but you like going to New York. You like that, whatever, that whole big city feel. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, since the city has descended into, uh, shall we say, non-prohibition era violence nowadays, the uh, the thrill is, is gone, let me say. But the, back then, I just loved... Uh, I just loved every square foot of it. I would say, you know, there's an adventure around every street corner. And there was, and I would say that in a good way. You never knew what piece of history or what artifact or what interesting shop or building you might you might run into. And actually, I spent, oh, probably when I was in my 20s or so, a lot of time staying in Times Square Back in the pre-Giuliani Times Square, back when it was it was still pretty rough even then, and mm-hmm. the reason I did is because my current employer would only uh, compensate you so much for a hotel room, so we stayed at the uh, invariably at the Hotel Edison between West 46th and West 47th because it was $12 a night, if you can imagine such a thing. Do you still like New York, or do you still go there a lot? I have not been there since COVID. Oh, COVID. And it's not the COVID which is keeping me out anymore. It's that one sees all the uh, stories about the rampant crime and and senseless stabbings which are occurring there, and and it's... I realized that the odds of something happening to me in a city of 8 million on any given trip are still pretty low, but a city which tolerates so much of that really disgusts me, and it mm. saddens me to say that. What was different then in the jazz age? It was pretty jazz disgusting. Jazz ages, they weren't, <laughs> you didn't have so many maniacs just sort of stabbing you or pushing you in front of a train. And you know, as these, as the, as the saying would go, they only kill each other, right? Which right, generally right. was true. Occasionally, somebody would get killed by accident or a random shooting. Somebody might get winged, although they would probably be in a speakeasy at that time. There was, however, one case which uh, sickened the public, which was up in, I think, Spanish Harlem. And uh, Vincent Mad Dog Call, who was really a psychopath, a really dangerous, crazy, sick individual, was uh, one of these machine gun shootings, you know, he's trying to blow out some other gangster who's just standing there on the corner. And he killed like a little girl, Uh who was like five years old or seven, and and that really got 
everybody cheesed off at him. But it was not enough for the other gangsters to rub him out at that point yet. What happened was that he was crazy enough to kidnap one of the uh, uh, henchmen and close personal friends of only the killer Madden. You know, don't don't go ticking off a guy with a nickname the killer. Okay, who no, wouldn't? Yeah, you know, bad bad business. So he was down in the phone booth, not in the uh, area of the scope of this book, but down on Mike West Twenty Third Street in Chelsea. Make they lure him in to make a phone call, and they they blow him away in in a in a phone booth uh, there. But he he was really really bad news. And we're talking with uh, David Petruccio's book, Gangsterland. What does it mean to be a gangster? Well, it could mean any number of things. Uh, the uh, You're involved in, back then, certainly in prohibition, uh, rum running, um, bootlegging, uh, labor racketeering, protection rackets. Um, a, lot of, a lot of these guys... These gangsters don't start with prohibition. They they have been doing kind of small time stuff in various gangs back then, um, but they uh, also are involved in illegal gambling. Well, David Petruja, I thank you very much for joining us talking about Gangsterland on the Historians Podcast. Thank you. Time for the history mystery. Last few weeks, this has been going well. Some real good questions to toss out your way. So it's time once again for the history mystery, part of the Historian's Podcast. I'm Dave Green. One of the many stories told in David Petruja's book, Gangsterland, is the following. In August, way back in 1930, a Manhattan judge disappeared after having dinner at Billy Haas's Chop House. I like that name, by the way. <laughs> Hailed a taxi after dinner and was never seen from again. The vanishing jurist was, here's the question, Judge Judy, Judge Earl Warren, Judge Joseph Crater, or Judge Steve Harvey? The answer in a moment. Thank you very much, Dave Green. Our guest on the Historian's Podcast was David Petruja, author of Gangsterland, a tour through the dark heart of jazz age New York City. Gangsterland is um, David's latest book, and it's always good to talk with David. But I'm here to talk with you about our GoFundMe campaign, our fundraising. The Historian's Podcast Fund Drive has raised something like $3,800 so far. And we still have a long way to go to reach our $7,000 goal by the end of the year, which is now just a few months away. Please donate online today. Go to our website, bobcudmore.com. Look for and press the blue button, which takes you to our GoFundMe page, where you can donate by credit card. Or you can donate the old-fashioned way, Write out a check made out to Bob Cudmore. Mail the check to 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. No donation is too big or too small 
and you can give anonymously. Please donate today. And now, the history mystery. In August 1930, a Manhattan judge disappeared after having dinner at Billy Haas's chop house, hailed a taxi cab, was never heard from again. Was the vanishing jurist Judge Judy, Judge Earl Warren, Judge Joseph Crater, or Judge Steve Harvey? The answer, Judge Joseph Crater. Uh, thanks again to David Petruja for joining us on the Historian's Podcast to talk about his new book, Gangsterland. The Historian's Podcast is produced by Dave Green. I'm Bob Cudmore.